This morning, we are beginning to look at the parables, uh, some of the parables of Jesus, several that are in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Parables are sort of like a comparison. They're not quite allegories because everything doesn't always line up, but they can be set side by side with something. That's the literal meaning of a parable, set side by side. And they illustrate some truth or truths about our life of faith. Jesus often begins a parable by saying, it's like this. It's like this. These parables in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 13, are about the kingdom of God. And he's saying, it's like this. These parables can also be found in the Gospels of Mark and Luke, and we're going to be looking at um, them for the next three weeks. This morning, we're going to start with something called the parable of the sower. We call it the parable of the sower. Now, as I was looking at these, I was looking at all of them kind of in context, and as I looked at uh, the parable of the sower in the Gospel of Luke, I happened to notice that it immediately follows an account of the women who were traveling with Jesus and supporting him in their ministry and in ministry with the other disciples. Now, I just had to mention that today because you might have heard a little bit of buzz about the Southern Baptist Church in the last few days. Now, the Southern Baptist Church, their convention, they actually decided that they would expel any church from their denomination where a woman was serving as the pastor, that they would expel them from the denomination. So I just want to tell you that I am grateful to be a part of the United Methodist Church, a church that still might not, uh, might take a little longer than we would hope, but still seems to be on the leading edge of welcoming and affirming the call of people who, who might not yet be recognized and might not yet be welcomed. So the United Methodist Church has been ordaining women since 1956. That's almost 70 years. And I must be getting old because I've been ordained about half that time. So just saying. Um, I'm also thankful to be a part of this congregation because you all specifically have, have really been used by God to help people hear and go into a call to ministry over the years. Some of you may not know that that wall full of photos back there, uh, all of the ones with the white mats on them, are people from Trinity who have gone into ministry. So if you've not walked back there, I hope you'll go back there and look at it. And about half of them are women, including me. So thank you. Thank you for supporting women and others who might be excluded in, from ministry in other denominations. Now, I digress, and so I want to get back to the parable of the sower from the Gospel of Matthew. And in these parables in chapter 13, I also looked at the context. And what was interesting to me is that these parables immediately follow some times of controversy, They're sandwiched, actually, by controversy. Um, Immediately prior to Jesus telling these parables, the disciples lose faith and get scared when they're out on a stormy sea. And the Pharisees try to squelch and choke the good news that Jesus wants to share. And then immediately following these parables about what does it look like, what does the kingdom of God look like, immediately following that, Jesus goes back to Nazareth, his hometown, and he is rejected in his own hometown. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I would invite us to ponder what it means that these kingdom of God parables are sandwiched right between 
this controversy. So I'm going to read our scripture from Matthew chapter 13, two different sections, and I invite you to follow along with me. That day Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he climbed into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seeds, some fell on the path and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the rocky soil where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. And then we skip down a little bit, and Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. Consider the parable of the farmer, he says to them. When people hear the word about the kingdom of God and don't understand it, the evil one comes and carries off what was planted in their hearts. This is the seed that was sown on the path. As for seed that was spread on rocky ground, this refers to people who hear the word and immediately receive it joyfully. Because they have no roots, they last only for a little while. Then they experience distress or abuse. When they experience distress or abuse because of the word, they immediately fall away. As for the seed that was spread among thorny plants, it refers to those who hear the word, but the worries of this life and the false appeal of wealth choke the word and it bears no fruit. As for what was planted on good soil, this refers to those who hear and understand and bear fruit and produce. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another a case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. This is the word of God for the people of God and God's people say, thanks be to God. And let me invite you as I do whenever I, I preach to pray for me in sharing this message with you and I'll pray for you that God will speak whatever word you might need to hear today into your heart. Let's pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this week I was reminded by a friend and colleague of the mass shooting that took place eight years ago yesterday. A young man only 21 years old, Dylan Roof, a neo-Nazi, a white supremacist, um, entered a Bible study at Mother Emmanuel African Methodist Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He sat with them in the Bible study for an hour as they studied together. They welcomed him 
and, and gave him the Bible study sheet for the day. And he asked questions and had conversation with them. And then at the end of that hour, when they stood up to pray together and bowed their heads, he took out his gun and murdered all but one of them. One he said he left so that she could tell the story of what happened. What were they studying that day? They were studying the parable of the sower. I'd never heard that before. I didn't know that until this week. They were studying the parable of the sower. I also wasn't aware that a year ago on the anniversary of that shooting, a national movement was begun to encourage studying the parable of the sower on the anniversary of the shooting. It's pure coincidence that we are studying that parable today, not knowing that. Or is it? But here we are listening to this parable and being asked to consider what type of soil each one of us is. Jesus tells this parable to the crowd, and then different from any of the other parables, Jesus actually later in private explains it to the disciples. The parable of what we call the parable of the sower. He says that a farmer went out to scatter seed, which is the word of God. And it falls on four different types of grounds, four different types of ways that people either embrace the word of God or do not. The first type of ground that the seed lands on is a path, dry and hard, like a concrete sidewalk. It's a path that is so hardened that the seed can't take root. It's a person so hardened, perhaps by worldviews like sexism and racism and every kind of bias and, and hatred, that the Word of God cannot penetrate into their hearts. It's a path where a person's life experience shuts them off from the Word of God so much so that they don't even stand a chance of hearing the good news that Jesus has for them. I wonder if Dylan Roof is one of those persons who is like that dry and hardened path. The second type of ground is shallow and rocky. When the seeds land on this type of ground, the seed begins to grow roots immediately, but the roots don't go down deep. And it's that shallow faith that people receive with great joy, but without roots, it only lasts for a short period of time before it withers up. We all know people who are sunny day Christians, right? When life is good and going their way, then they are blessed. But as soon as difficulty comes, as soon as life throws a curveball, or as soon as it is more costly to be a Christian, then they abandon God or believe that God has abandoned them. They only want God to be at their beck and call for their laundry list of prayers, or they want the emotional high of this new experience, but as soon as the newness wears off, they desert. 
A third type of soil is the thorny ground. And when the seeds land on it, the thorns begin to choke it out. The thorns and weeds, they take over. This type of person, Jesus says, is focused on the cares of the world and lured by the appeal of wealth. The word of God may have begun to grow in this person, but the desire for money and power and pleasure choke out that growth. How many of us, as Jesus says in, in another chapter in, in Matthew, how many of us worry too much about our life, what we, will, what we will eat and what we will wear? We worry and we worry. All of that focus on ourselves and our own wants and desires chokes the word of God right out of us. It squelches our ability to see the goodness that we already have been given. And then there's the seed that lands on good soil. And when the harvest comes, that seed produces 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. We all hope to be that good soil so that as the word of God comes to us, we will produce a bumper crop, right? But you know, for all this talk about soils, this is not called, or we don't often call it, the parable of the soils. We call it the parable of the sower. Parables, this parable, is not primarily or at least only about what type of soil the seeds land in. Parables were supposed to give new insights and, and a new way of looking at things. And this parable... The method of planting wasn't a surprise. People would scatter the seed, nor was the type of soil on which it landed. It wouldn't have been surprising that, that there were some places that produced no fruit, some seed that produced no fruit. What was surprising and startling is that the crop produced a hundredfold. In that day, they would have expected a good crop to produce seven or eightfold or, or maybe at the most tenfold. But to have a crop that would produce a hundredfold, that was amazing, astounding, simply miraculous. To have this kind of perspective would be a whole new way of looking at the world. And perhaps that's God's lesson for us today. Jesus is teaching us about being the sower, about being the farmer. Jesus is urging us, leading us to operate out of a whole new vision, a whole different perspective, a kingdom perspective. As the sower, the farmer, we are encouraged to ignore the rocks and forget about the shallow soil and pay no attention to the hungry birds because all of that stuff doesn't matter. The way the seed is broadcast and the promise of the abundant harvest is the, is the heart of this story. And that should be our focus. Remember the parable begins, a farmer went out to scatter seed, or a sower went out to sow. What if instead the farmer chose not to scatter? What if the farmer didn't go, go out to sow seed because he was afraid that he didn't have enough seed to sow? 
Or what if the farmer didn't go out to sow seed because he was the smallest farmer or the poorest farmer or thought that, that his little farm and his little bit of seed wouldn't produce a worthwhile crop? Or what if the farmer didn't scatter seed because he thought it was a bad season or, or there was going to be a drought or, or any number of conditions that might have been against him? But you see, that's not what happened. The point for us is that the farmer went out to sow. The farmer went out to scatter seed. He simply took what he had and flung it, and flung it again with action and hope that the seed would germinate and bear fruit. The sower, this farmer, believed in the process and trusted God with the result. You know, I think about those that were in that Bible study group at Mother Emmanuel and the faithful who were there during the week to study the Bible together. And, and this person walked in that they didn't know, that they didn't even recognize, that didn't look like any of them, and yet they welcomed him. They scattered the seed with abandon and it was costly scattering seed sowing the good news of Jesus can be costly it was costly for the greatest sower we're called to scatter seed to scatter seed to the wind to sow the word of God, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. We don't have to analyze the soil and, and evaluate whether the seed will take. We are simply called to broadcast the seed and let God determine the crop that will be produced. After the last few weeks, uh, after the last few years, we have had churches everywhere have had setbacks and difficulties and obstacles. Trinity's no different. But the community of faith, we have been called, commissioned, to throw abandon to the wind and to scatter the seed extravagantly and liberally as God lavishes grace on humanity. We are called to plant, to broadcast welcome, and love, and generosity, and justice without letting the worry about the, the birds, or the rocks, or the trampling feet, or the sun, or the shallow soil deter us. We can't foresee where that seed will land, or whether it will take root and bear fruit, but that's not really our job to determine. God will provide the harvest. One person plants another waters, and God always provides the harvest. We are, not, we, we are called to scatter the seed, and God will use our effort and do more, do more than we can ever ask or imagine. Scripture tells us that. You know, Brian talked about annual conference, and, and I'm so excited um, about Bishop Tom Berlin and, and the, the hope and the joy in our annual conference right now. 
Um, so I want to share with you all just a little clip um, from a part of his uh, opening words to us on Thursday of that week. It's about five minutes, and I just hope you'll listen and, and, and become as excited as, as we are. Take a listen. Can I tell you a secret about myself? In recent months and years, as a United Methodist, I felt a little lost. I've expended energy, but I have felt a little off course. Things in the church just felt like I was in an unfamiliar place, a place I didn't know how I got to, and I wasn't quite sure how to get out of it. And when we feel lost, we feel anxious, sometimes even hopeless, and that's why this theme for our annual conference that is found in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13. Romans 15, 13. Paul gives a one-sentence blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I believe. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to show us the way. I believe that the Spirit of the living God wants to bring us back to our spiritual home. I believe that we do not journey alone and the Holy Spirit knows the way we should go. And friends, can I make a suggestion? If we're going to go back, let's not go back to the 1980s. I was there. <laughs> and it was fine while it lasted. Can I just tell you, we need to not go back to the 1990s, as good as they were. Oh, that attractional model. Mm. Do you remember when you just showed up in church and everybody else showed up too? Do you remember that? I get a little weepy when I think of it. I miss it. Let's go back. Let's let the Holy Spirit lead us back to, to times like 1739. 1739. No, I am not that old if you're in the youth delegation. No, I'm not. But I'm not that far either. We asked we ask in 1739. By the way, I heard uh, Dr. Ashley Dreff, General Secretary of UM Archives and History, talk about the early Methodist movement, and she is the one who gave me this material. The Anglican parish system in 1739 is failing. It's collapsing under the weight of immigration into England, a high time of immigration into England. And Methodism has to fill the gaps by ministering to the people that nobody else wants. <laughs> ministering to the poor, ministering to the people in need, ministering to the people who have no connection and no home because they have had to leave their home for a variety of reasons. Bristol, England is a place designed for 3,000 people that now has 40,000 living in it. It is the dirtiest city in England because of the coal industry. And, and there was this massive economic divide there between the very rich and the very poor and hardly anybody in between. You know what happened. You all know the story. George Whitfield starts preaching in the fields. And he contacts John Wesley, sends him a letter. He says, John, you've got to get over here. I need some help. You can't believe what's happening. And Wesley makes his way to Bristol and is shocked by the crowds, thousands of people gathering when people feel, preach in the field. And Wesley realizes he has to embrace an innovation that he hates. Exactly the way some of you feel about the Fresh Expressions Report. Can I say that out loud? <laughs> an innovation that you think is weird church. In innovations, you think, oh, that just doesn't feel like us. Wesley had the same experience you have. 
not just about that, but about just the, the hardship of change. And, and Wesley begins to look around and realize, you know what, I, I've got to do something. And you know the famous words. He says, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile, to proclaim in the highways the glad tidings of salvation, preaching to about 3,000 people outside of the city, more than he could have ever fit into a church at that time. And friends, if, if we're going to find our way, we have got to do what the early Methodists did and embrace the new innovations. We've got to stop pining for the things that have passed and start living into the future that will be. We are at that, that pivotal moment. And, and Wesley, God bless John Wesley, this Oxford graduate who shook off his experience of what was normal and what was acceptable so that he could meet people where they are. God bless him. And Dr. Dreff quoted another historian, I think, I was taking notes, I'm not exactly right, but you can ask her. Listen to this quote. On Aldersgate Street in London, remember Aldersgate Street? Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. But in Bristol, in the field preaching, Wesley's heart was set afire. Wow. What if we went from being warm Methodists to being people that were on fire for the Lord? How about that? Brought us home. What if we went from being warm Methodists to people who were on fire for the Lord? So let's go out and be on fire for Jesus. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but let's go out and scatter seed. Let's go out and broadcast that seed with wild abandon, sharing love and welcome and generosity and justice. Let's scatter seed like there's no tomorrow precisely because there is a tomorrow and it's in God's hands. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, we give you thanks for the ways that you consistently and persistently work in our lives. We ask that you would help us to, each of us and all of us together to be the soil that you want us to be. And most importantly, being that soil, may we go out and scatter. May we go out and spread your love and welcome and justice and generosity with all the world. Give us the courage, O oh God, to be your courageous witnesses, trusting all into your hands and knowing that you will do far more than we could ever ask or imagine in the name of Jesus. Amen.